0: All right, friends, as promised, I am here with a special bonus episode of the Naked Preacher podcast. Today's episode is a continuation of a theme that we started on the previous episode uh, that preachers get sick. Uh, You got to hear from my friend Molly Brummett Waddell, who's the pastor of a church in Durham, North Carolina, about how uh, journeying through a lupus diagnosis. Uh, in front of her congregation, has uh, brought some vulnerability out in her, and uh, today I will be interviewing another pastor who has gotten a pretty serious diagnosis and pastored through that Uh, In front of his own congregation. His name is Jason McKelly. He is the pastor of Annandale United Methodist Church in Annandale, Virginia. I want to make sure I get that right because I introduced his church incorrectly during the actual interview. But Jason received a very rare bone cancer diagnosis. Uh, as a young pastor just a few years ago. One of his doctors described it as stage serious cancer, that is cancer that whenever it shows up, it's it's already around stage four or five, and it's likely to be something that uh, Jason deals with for the rest of his life. Uh, so it's a heavy topic, but I've got to admit, this is a pretty loose episode, and I really enjoyed our conversation. Um, Jason was... Uh, scheduled to come on, in the morning that we uh, were, were set to record, he said, Hey, is it cool if I have my, my two friends, uh, Tear and uh, Taylor, Tear Hardy and Taylor Mertens, on? They are also uh, United Methodist pastors in Virginia, but they are good friends of Jason's. Uh, and They uh, all host together a podcast called Crackers and Grape Juice. And uh Jason thought, you know, it'd be good to have uh these buddies on because they could lend some outside perspective on Jason's journey uh through sickness. So uh we we had a, a great conversation. They really sound like um amazing guys, so I'm excited for you to hear it. I do have one production note though. Apparently one of the things that happens when you go through an illness uh like Jason's is that you come out so much freer on the other side. Just to be who you are, you know, and to speak however you feel led in any circumstance. Uh, the, the shackles are gone and, and you're just who you are. And that is awesome. However, freely speaking can at times lead those liberated from their sickness to maybe use words that might call into question my clean lyrics rating on iTunes. Uh, considering that, plus the fact that this podcast is part of a Divinity School project that my professors are most definitely listening to, I decided to have some fun with the more adult words that the Crackers and Grape Juice crew used and dub over those with some more kid-friendly words spoken by two very special guests of my own, my little boys, Stephen and Parrish. Hopefully, you enjoy the conversation as much as we all did. Well, our guest today on the Naked Preacher podcast is uh, Jason McKelly. Jay- is am I saying that right, McKelly? No, I- you're not. Okay. Well, I feel like I should do it in a very Italian way, like a McKelly. That's I- that's good. I like that. I like okay, actually, all right. He's actually Jewish. So. <laughs> oh, interesting. I,
1: that's a long story.
0: Okay. All right. Well, we got lots of time. So um, Jason McKelly, he is the executive pastor of Aldersgate United Methodist Church in Alexandria, Virginia. Uh, He's a podcaster himself. Uh, His podcast is The Tamed Cynic. He also blogs at tamedcynic.org. The author of books with very intriguing titles, uh, which appeal to a a guy who named his own show, The Naked Preacher Podcast. Uh, Jason's books include I Like Big Butts, uh reflections on romans we uh, did that one, with taylor and Tyr. with taylor and Tyr, yeah. who are also on the podcast who are good friends and co-authors uh Recent. along with jason yeah there you go and, and um, while i'm
1: correcting you I, i've since moved from aldersgate and i'm now okay. pastor at annandale united methodist ah uh, so
2: methodist the same though So it's not a big deal
0: <laughs> all methodist yeah it's basically just but one big clump
1: and so yeah. so Tier. uh I married Tyr and his wife uh what nine
2: years ago. Yeah, we've been together for nine years. Then months. they then they uh
1: became a part of the church and then he was the youth director for a while. And then Taylor okay. was a youth at
0: Aldersgate when I first
1: got there. Okay. We've known the three of us have known each other for a long time.
0: Awesome. So uh so Annandale United Methodist Church. Is that what you said? Yep. Awesome. So uh uh he is a pastor of great renown than uh, serving, having served multiple churches, uh, I can officially say. Uh, one of his other books is called 100 Foreskins, Wrestling with the Random Bits of the Bible. Um, and of particular interest for me today, he's written a book called Cancer is Funny, uh, Keeping Faith and Stage Serious Chemo. So uh, I'd like to welcome Jason, as well as uh, two of his friends who have been, um, you know, a long, uh, along the road for his entire journey, uh, through ministry and through sickness. Um, so we got, we got tear Mertens and no, excuse me. I I just joined you guys, Taylor Mertens and tear Hardy. Um, so guys, would you mind sharing a little bit about where you're serving?
2: Okay. Yeah, I'll go first. I am, uh, <laughs> sorry, I, uh I couldn't see Taylor's little head, <laughs> Just trained for me to go first. It is a
0: small. It is a pretty small head. Uh,
2: I serve a United Methodist Church in Arlington, Virginia, just outside Washington D.C. Okay. And also a student at Wesley Theological Seminary. Awesome. The Great. Ser-
3: yeah, indeed it is. Uh, I serve at uh, Cokesbury United Methodist Church in Woodbridge, Virginia, which is just south on ninety-five from where the two of them are.
0: All right. Um, so. You know, search committee uh, question, Jason, uh, just to give everybody an idea of of where you're coming from and what life looks like for you. Uh, How did you end up in ministry? Uh, What's that story? Uh,
1: So I became a Christian uh, when I was about 17 years old. Um, Mom forced us to go to church against my will because I was was kind of a silly head. Um, (laughs) So yeah, I grew up in a broken alcoholic family. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so, uh, you know, accrued layers of cynicism and, and whatnot uh, as a consequence. And so, she forced us to go to church. Uh, and then, like uh, after about a year of like hindsight, I realized that it had taken. Um, and so, uh, I kind of dove in with zeal, with the zeal of a convert. Um, so now I was a different kind of jerk. Um, and then I went to UVA for college and took a class called Elements of Christian Thought with this really egotistical guy named David Bentley Hart. Um, and that's where I discovered that what I had experienced personally, spiritually, uh, was matched by uh, an intellectual um, curiosity about the faith. And so I ended up majoring in that in English and I wanted to keep keep doing it. And so I went to Princeton Seminary because uh, that's where a lot of my professors told me to go. And so I got there. Um, And, you know, enjoyed that. And and really, it it wasn't that I didn't know I was supposed to work in a church as part of seminary. It was that that was like the least uh, compelling thing. Um, And so I I worked in a prison first. Um, You know, so I I only ended up in ministry because I had, you know, seminary had painted me into the corner. Um, And then in the practice of doing it, realized I both... um, enjoyed it. I, uh, discovered that I was my most real self in the doing of it and that it bore, uh, you know, some fruit.
0: Yeah. I love that, that you discovered your most real self there. I think that's what it's, that's what it's all about. Uh, so there you are, you're, you're, uh, living your real self, um, you know, happy you're, you're in the center of your purpose, all that wonderful stuff. And then you, you somehow find yourself on the receiving end of a cancer diagnosis, right? Um, and it, it's sort of a big one. Uh, mantle cell lymphoma, is that right? That is the name. Okay. So I, of course, am completely up to date on all of uh, the various lymphomas or lymphomi, Uh, But for those who, who don't know, what, what is that? uh it's a cancer
1: of the bone marrow um and so because it's in the marrow it spreads throughout your body um and usually presents in the gut first and so um it usually only affects uh like you know 0.3% of the population and th- of those people it's usually men who uh, very old men and so um it's it's rare and it's, there's not much known about it because it's this, you know the people who get it are old and die quickly um, so, yeah, so that's, uh, that's what I have. Uh, it's, I've been through, um, a year of treatment and surgery. Um, I do maintenance chemo one day a month. Um, it's the sort of thing that will never be in remission. Um, and odds are it will come back again. Um, probably in the next four to six years. Um, so it's something that I live with.
0: Yeah. And it's described as as stage serious, right? Because they can't really it comes up so quick that they can't really put a classification of one of the regular numbers on it it's how my doctor explained it okay it's not like a a term but yeah gotcha um so i gotta say as i got familiar with your story i think i first heard you on uh at the aforementioned luke northworthy's podcast (laughs) and i know he's everywhere he's (laughs) he's like the Kevin Bacon of, of theology. We're all seven. My days God, he away. totally he totally is the Kevin Bacon of theology. <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> he was, uh,
2: we just said that too.
0: That's right. Hey, that's fine with me. He can use it. Um, so, but I, I heard you there. I think I, I got your book after that, and uh, I got to say I was made very uneasy because I see uh, myself uh, in your story. You know, at the time you received your diagnosis, you were in your thirties. Uh, like I am, uh, you got two little boys, right? Mm-hmm. Just like I do. Uh, you married uh, your, you know, best friend since high school, right? And so did I. Uh, so you probably expected uh, your diagnosis as much as I do now. So, um, like, what what did the shift in your ministry look like from before that to to you know during or after that? Like, did you notice any? transformation of how that looked so all right so the way
1: i would say that is i'm enough of a hair to say that any difference in my ministry would be better noticed by my friends and so i will let awesome. Taylor and Tyr say that
0: okay oh, give be honest taylor and tear was he way better before <laughs> <laughs> he I mean, was go ahead Tear. I, I
2: i would i would say two things. From a friendship perspective, I think um, our friendship is infinitely better now than it was pre-diagnosis, but then also pastorally and then all just throughout his ministry. I think Jason is more authentic now in his preaching and the way he interacts with people, whether it's his previous congregation or even now in his Uh, new congregation and then his ministry i don't know if this has been intentional on his part or not but it's grown beyond the local church to where now he is taking people like myself and taylor and even even people beyond just the two of us under his tutelage and kind of passing on the um the missteps that he's learned throughout ministry, but also then uh, helping us realize our own gifts and graces for ministry that we don't even realize uh, that that we have. And he's not just helping you realize them, but he's helping you live into them. Like awesome. um, that's been one of the beauties of the crackers and grape juice podcast is like, it started as just us having conversations, Mm -hmm. but it's turned into him seeing uh, where my passions are and then helping to navigate and, uh, find my voice in those different uh areas of theology awesome
0: yeah and i'm glad you mentioned that because i forgot to name the crackers and, and grape juice podcast but you guys are uh you, you guys are, are putting out content all over the place so that that's awesome uh taylor what what about you man yeah it's nice he returns my calls now that's a big call
2: <laughs> that's very true
3: <laughs> no i i say that in jest um yeah, there's a lot of like personal things that have changed on this side of um i, I think one of the things that like that I appreciate Jason saying once we interviewed uh, a man uh, uh, Thomas Lynch. He's a, a, a mortician. He, he's an undertaker and he, he's written a bunch of books. He's a poet and we interviewed him for the podcast a long time ago. And um, he asked Jason how he was feeling because now that he was sort of in remission, but not really in remission. And the way Jason worded it, he said, I feel like I'm Lazarus. I'm Lazarus having been raised from the dead only to die again. Hmm. And that has like really stayed with me because uh, I think for Jason and by no means do I intend to speak on his behalf, but we're all big fans of Carl Bart and part Bart talks about the crisis uh, and the crisis that is occurring that gives us opportunity. And I think the crisis of Jason's finitude uh, has made him a better friend, uh, a better father, a better godfather. He's the godfather of my son. Um, but it's also made him a phenomenally better preacher. And I think Jason was one of the best preachers I'd ever listened to prior to cancer. Um, but we've talked about this a lot. Jason and I have that his sermons are far more theologically rich and they're less Mm. focused on his own personal narrative because I think writing the book forced him to focus on himself so much that he recognized, and this is also the Harawasian thing that it's not about him. Mm. Uh, and so his, his sermons are theologically rich and they, uh, they always point away from himself to the cross. And that's not to say that he didn't do that before, but he always does it now. And I think that that's um, part and parcel to the vulnerability that's required when you confront the fact that you you may not live as long as you think you will.
1: Yeah, yeah I would, I, I would. so the way I would kind of piggyback off of that is that, um, so Robert Capon in his book, The Foolishness of Preaching, talks about how really the, the problem with, most preaching is the preacher doesn't believe sufficiently enough to take any risks um and thinking that thinking that you're going to die thinking that i was going to die um made me realize like i like i actually believe this yeah um, like it's <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, it's yeah um and, and and once you realize that like it doesn't occur to you like y- you have i mean what i mean that's paul right i mean like so like everything else but the cross doesn't really matter anymore Hmm. and there's a freedom attached to that good news that uh i think allows you to just um be vulnerable not for the sake of vulnerability or for the sake of creating false intimacy but just because um you can just be yourself yeah Um, yeah like so so i i think that conviction i think frees you to be uh a, you know, a herald without worrying about being liked.
0: Yeah, um, you. Uh, that's one of the notes that I made when I was looking through your book. Um, you know, was that question of do you do you believe this? Like th- that that this journey has forced you to really, you know, stare that question in the face. Uh, you say, do you believe any of this? That Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That those who trust in Him, even though they die. Yet, shall they live? Are these just lines? Do you believe it really and um And yeah, it sounds like you know you've sort of been through a, a, a crucible of having to rest, wrestle with those and and come out on the other side into the freedom of of uh, embracing you know those answers that you would give maybe earlier with some you know knowing that it's right in your head or whatever now you can speak it from from your bones you know from your heart and and i think it gives permission to other so it's it's not just that like
1: so i do believe it and so i i feel a freedom i didn't have before to just be myself and mm-hmm. you know preach a particular message um but i also think you know because i believe this to be true of everyone i i i i, I don't have a need for you to believe it mm. um and so i i have um I don't feel the need to fix other people now um, that it's just, it's proclamation, not manipulation. <laughs> so, um, and, and I don't the, know whether that's, that's that... the title of Jason's forthcoming book. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so, yeah. So I, I mean like th- this, you know, like, I mean, your sins are forgiven. Like, that's just true whether you like it or not. And, and so like, and it's, you know, like you can live into that or you cannot live into it and like your life right. will take on a certain sheen, depending on how like you choose to to trust that message. Um, but the veracity of the message is in no way dependent on your subjectivity. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I, so I think, I mean, I, I try to at least give other people the permission to be vulnerable then too, about their own doubts and questions.
0: Yes. Awesome. I love that. So how, how do uh have you noticed any difference in like how people respond to uh your preaching or you know, more broadly just your teaching, your leadership, you know, as as a pastor? <laughs> this <gonna> sound terrible. <laughs> um this is gonna sound terrible. Uh uh I,
1: so I am aware that me being uh carrying the diagnosis that I have gives me an enormous amount of credibility um that I didn't have before uh-huh. um, that I could use for good or evil. Um so so it like so there's that there's also the, ca- the case that like every time I go to the hospital to see someone everyone has to begin with well it's nothing like what you've been through but yeah um, so it makes it harder to do pastoral care um and it's made my marriage harder and then we can talk about that um but it's so like you know the reason I thought Tyr and Taylor would be good is is because uh uh you know like the first email I got when I got sick was from tear and it was just a very genuine vulnerable message. Um yeah. you know, and and that 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 allowed me to just be who I was in that moment, um, in a very freeing way. Um, you know, and Taylor got frightened by my diagnosis and like confessed that to me later. Uh and that that you know his vulnerability, like that, like our friendship is deeper now because mm-hmm. of that kind of reciprocity. I think. Yeah. yeah. One of the
3: ways Jason uh, I wrote about this a long time ago, early in my ministry, but it stuck with me was that pastors come home with the blood still in their clothes, kind of like doctors do, in the sense that you know we're in the hospital, we're visiting people at the at the end of life, and we come home with with blood stains on our clothes. And I think for Jason, one of the really frightening things was seeing his own blood on his clothes. And I, I'm interested. I think it's funny, Jason, that you say that it makes pastoral care harder. And I would agree that that's true in the sense that when people turn back and say, oh, well, what I have is nothing like what you went through. But I do think it makes you better at pastoral care um, because you you write about this in your book, what uh, the the chaplain and what the chaplain said to you. And um, like you now know how trite that c- it is. <laughs> like because someone has said it like you already knew how trite it is because you wouldn't say that to anybody because that's the kind of person you are but like having experienced it you know what kind of that is to hear that you know in the midst of being in the hospital and so i i would
1: contend that it probably made you a a better at your pastoral counseling but that's maybe yeah well and there's a part of it too that like it shows me not just like the the bad things that people say but how vogue it is like so cpe trained you Right to sit with the silence and just kind of and, and and mirror back what you hear and you know, not to project any of your beliefs onto the patient. And all and I get all of that. I, I think it's all a process to avoid bad preachers who shouldn't be pastors in the first place. Um, but you know, so like I remember I think it's in Hannah's Child where Harawas talks about like being in the hospital and like the chaplain comes and he's just like, If 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 you're not here to pray for my healing, get the H E double hockey sticks. Out. <laughs> um and I and I get that too, that um I I don't think I appreciated until I was a patient myself that if like I don't I don't it's not just compassion I need, like I want to be reminded of something
0: that's true. Yeah. So what what does good pastoral care look like to you then and uh like what what were you wanting to receive um from chaplain, pastor, whoever comes in? Um and what do you try to give now, I guess. Uh, so how do I answer that?
1: So I didn't appreciate before the fact that a whole lot of people who are in the hospital probably just don't want you there. <laughs> um, you know, you look bad, you feel bad, um, like you're worried about like going pooping on yourself. You know, all, all this stuff, and so like. This idea, so I, I think i don't know maybe it's like small rural churches train you to think that like people really want you to show up at their hospital room and just sit there for hours and and like under no circumstances did I want that mm-hmm. um, and so like that was a like, kind of a surprise um, so I think it looks you know pastoral good pastoral care looks brief um, it looks like not saying the wrong things, but being brave enough to say the right things mm-hmm. um that. You know to be confident enough in the gospel to offer it to people Um, because otherwise like they've got doctors and they've got counselors and so you know i mean
2: that's one of the things that i often wonder if we're doing it we is like in a big corporate ministry setting like with hospital chaplains and see you know the people we have working in those environments are people who are early on in their ministry career and so people who legitimately want a chaplain to come and sit with them or some or have someone come and pray with them are we sending the best people in there to do it or are we just we we, we, we found a group of people that you know what, we, we can make them do it yeah um, as some requirement for something that they're working towards it fills the uh, a gap in um and fulfills a need that that's there but are we actually ministering to the people that want us there or are we just sending people that shouldn't be going there into rooms that they're not wanted in to begin with
3: mm-hmm. when, wendell Berry talks about the same thing in this great essay about uh sending young clergy to royal churches because they don't know what they're talking about <laughs> and it just <laughs> makes the royal church resent all these young clergy <laughs> but, i mean i think it's true with cpe i i mean uh, again not to quote Howard but he he when he was my professor he said the hardest thing about being a pastor will be the fact that you have to tell the truth when everybody else wants to believe a lie and that truth is that this person's going to die
2: hmm. and
3: i i can remember doing CP at duke hospital and being in a lot of rooms with a lot of people near the end of life and them saying am i gonna die and i said yes and it was really, really hard to say. And whether or not they were going to die the next day, or maybe they're going to cover, like, they're going to die. That's unavoidable. But one of the hardest things about being a pastor is telling somebody that they're going to
1: die when everybody else is trying to tell them the contrary. Yeah. yeah. I think it's important. I mean, and this is Harawas again, too. But, you know, it's instructive that all the prayers in the Book of Common Prayer are to prepare someone to meet God. <laughs> um, not to Not to be empathetic about their fear of death and discomfort.
0: Yeah, it's sort of. It's like. Uh, I mean, you mentioned Lazarus earlier, and, and that's that's always just been such an interesting passage to me because, yeah, the resurrection—he was resurrected, and that's that's terrific. Um, but he's gonna die again, you know. And and I, I think you're absolutely right. Like, I mean, part of the beauty of the, of the gospel is is that we can come you know, with with the the truth that that is not the final word you know and and uh, that that death is not something to be feared or avoided at all costs i mean it's just so funny how the church does that or church people you know seem to avoid that so you know like it continues to be the enemy where where it's been dealt with you know and, and i do think
1: that's one difference that i, I i've consciously made is is um so I think before I got sick, I leaned too heavily into, you know, so if you're going to use the Lazarus story for preaching a funeral, I would have wanted to lean into, uh, well, this is God in the flesh sharing in our grief and, and suffering and, and all that. Mm-hmm. And and once I was grieving and suffering, I realized, it's like, that's a really crappy message. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if all God can do is empathize with me, like I need a different God. Yeah, um, the God, who can beat it. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, so now like I, I preach first Corinthians 15, like, every Mm -hmm. funeral and it's basically the same funeral message like like every time and it's it's and it's not soft um or pastoral
0: it's kind of as full-throated as I can make it yeah awesome man uh so it sounds to me like I I love how authentic you you are um all you guys it sounds like you've been very open um or were very open with your congregation about uh, your journey, you include a letter in there that you wrote to them, um, before, you know, I think it was right before your, uh, uh treatment started, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm going to read, uh, an excerpt, uh, you say, um, you say, don't sweat the God thing, people, uh, please. I never believed before that God does mean, um, and because you, uh, you've achieved a level of comfort with your congregation that I'm yet to achieve with mine. So <laughs> you in ch- include some choice words there, but I'm, uh, I'm just going to replace those with some good, um, uh, Baptist, um, little boy words. So I never believed before that God does mean heiny poop like this to people. So I'm not hung up on God doing this stuff to me, um, I don't believe there's any mysterious reason other than the chromosomal one that cancer, however rare, is happening to me. And I don't believe there's a bigger plan behind all of this than the same plan God has for all of us to love and live like Jesus. I've just got to figure out how to do that given my new circumstances. Um, I love that honesty, man, that that you can share that. And, and even from you know your hospital bed and that, you're, you're leading and uh, I think you're showing a great model of healthy, authentic belief. How, how did your congregation respond to it, your authenticity throughout your journey? <laughs> um, well, Taylor's mom was my staff parish chair. so
1: um, Okay. <laughs> uh, she, I mean, let's just say I laid the groundwork for them to be flexible. <laughs> <Okay>. um, <laughs> uh, I mean, so part of that was a decision that I noticed um, in how people reacted to me being sick that – uh, people had a lot of unresolved grief of their own around people in their lives who had been sick. Um, and a lot of that was, uh, an inability to narrate it Christianly in a real way. Um, cause there's a lot of what Luther would call it the glory story, right? Like th- there's a whole lot of that in the Christian literature world. And there's not a lot of like theology of the cross done by individuals about their lives. And so, um, so I tried to do that and, and, um, So the congregation received it well, um, for the most part, or a few cranky people. You got
2: mouth kissed by a member of your congregation. I got... (laughs) You got um, what? Okay,
0: brief interjection here, but because I was wondering, and I know that you probably are too, I'm pretty sure that what Tyr said right there was Jason got mouth kissed by a member of his congregation, which... I really regret not following up on. I'm new to this. I should have asked more questions. I promise in the future, if ever a guest confesses to being mouth kissed by a member of their church, I will ask more about it because that's a little too vulnerable, even for me. All right, back to the conversation.
1: <laughs> but like I had tilled the field already. So if people were like, no one was like shocked by anything that I mean. Yeah. I mean, Tyr and I got in trouble with the bishop. Like, I think it was that year, wasn't it?
2: It was a few. It was because you were diag. You sent the email to me on February 6th that you had been diagnosed. And I think it was Advent where we had put the toilet.
1: Yeah, we done We were raising money for a sanitation project. And we'd done these videos of us on toilets. And and like, oh, my gosh. like, oh my <laughs> You
2: would have thought we were changing the biblical. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it was awful. Raised a lot of money, though. Um,
2: Hey, (laughs) he's very effective. Yeah, but I but
1: I think I mean most people, you know, they want to know that like they're not wasting their time on Sunday morning. They like Bart says, like they they want to know that it's true. Um, And 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 part of like the truth of that is that like you you're you're not pretending. Um, And so like I think if you're vulnerable in a way that's not self-serving or um, just you know vulnerable for the sake of being vulnerable. Um I, I think most people receive it well, yeah, yeah, uh, I mean that's like right, Brene, da, 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 da. Brene Brown, right? I mean, like the mm-hmm. power of shame and vulnerability is that it like, you know, empowers other people if you're willing to like go there.
3: I, I really think the buzzword authentic or authenticity <laughs> is really over like we're past that, we're way past that, but that doesn't mean it isn't true. And I didn't really know this until I got to seminary and encountered a whole bunch of other people who felt called to ministry because I was fortunate to grow up in a church with pretty authentic pastors, at least for a long time. And I've met so many people for whom who they are Monday through Saturday is not at all who they are on Sunday. And people can tell, I mean, it's like we've all got those radars. And uh, Jason doesn't have an inauthentic bone in his body. So, like, who he is right now is who he is on Sunday and that didn't change because of cancer just like you know extended it or you know it it became more of what it already was but I I think that gosh I can't imagine what it's like to be a lay person and to show up in church and sit there for an hour and listen to somebody who is clearly doing this because they think that's what we want to hear
1: rather than this is what God wants us to say and and sometimes it's just innocent, to, like there's like pastor speak that people like. You yeah. Know, like, and now let us. do, I mean, like, it's not. It's not that you're a hypocrite or that you don't believe it. It's just that like someone has told you that you now have to talk like a here's the script to.
3: that you're supposed to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: brothers and
1: sisters, like no yeah. one ever talks like that. <laughs> like, well, Paul
0: blessed you today. Like no, you. No one talks like this.
1: Like no one does.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, because. You know, congregations aren't are rarely going to rise above their leadership. You know, like and so the way the leader is 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 often you know the way that um, congregations will be uh, in response. And so, authenticity, vulnerability, whatever from the pulpit and from other places of leadership uh, can encourage that um, to the people who who um, are you know seeing it. Uh, but vice versa also you know if if your your pastor isn't going to uh be you know her or his real self uh in in front of the people that are supposed to share this most intimate of of you know journeys, then you know w how, how could we ever expect um the people who sit in the pews to do it
1: and I, well I think and so um one of the jokes I have now is is that cancer made me a lutheran um purely because like You know, you know, like Ali, my wife likes to point out that I'm still the same as I was before, Um, you know, that. And so I like Luther Seymour is is life giving to me now. Um, But it's also true. Like, I I think, um, you know, like the letter that you read, like, I think it's uh, I do believe, you know, God doesn't do these things for a reason. However, I do think Luther's insight that God hides behind our suffering um, and is to be found nowhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and so like you know the corollary then is if pastors are never vulnerable um they're never encountering God to then proclaim
0: him that's right there's a big piece that we're not that we're missing out on okay so for uh for the end of each episode what i aim to do is um close with a uh a set of just three rapid fire questions that in- invite you into a little bit more your first episode's gonna be
1: way better than our first episodes <sighs> were Uh, (laughs) i don't know audio
0: wise and everything okay well i i uh i did i did a heavy amount of googling before i started this stuff so um (laughs) at all um so you know preachers often have there's invitations at the end of the uh uh, the sermons so uh, on the podcast we have a skin invitation so uh (laughs) it's it's time for that (laughs) thank you for that
2: laugh (laughs) take my shirt off (laughs) for
0: this (laughs) you know however you feel comfortable really it's an it's an audio medium so it's up to you um all right so three rapid fire questions uh one what uh you know what instead of asking these to jason because i have taylor and tear here um how about you guys answer these for Jason cuz I think that could be that's even a lot true. more fun. We'll all right, this
2: yeah. mouth is what we do best. <laughs> so,
0: question number 1, what is uh one mistake <laughs> that Jason has made in ministry? Uh
3: he keeps telling people that um Battlestar Galactica is the greatest television show of all time. <laughs> yeah. No, that's I mean I, that's that's a joke, but uh I don't know. What do you think is a mistake Jason's uh, made? A
2: mistake? I don't want to talk about this while he's like looking at me. This is like forced right. vulnerability. Okay, Jason, I got one. Turn around.
3: No, I, I got this. So, Jason, um, one of the mistakes, and this isn't just one, he does this all the time. And I mean, I say this in love, <laughs> uh, is he always puts more on his plate than he can handle. That's probably true. And uh, he has grand visions for things that will never come to fruition. And uh, you need you need some of those grand visions. I think that's problematic sometimes. And I think that you know he has uh, he's got big eyes.
0: Absolutely, <laughs> very a very common uh, mistake that that many pastors share. Certainly myself as well. So, um, all right. Uh, I I don't know if you guys might be as well equipped to answer this one as as Jason. So really anyone can answer. But what's one of your uh, biggest fears in ministry i'll let them answer that that's fine one of pre jason's cancer. biggest fears
1: in
3: ministry I, think
2: pre, I mean pre-cancer jason it was um uh, being liked but i don't think that phrasing works correctly um like the the, the toilet thing for example like people were really upset about it And I think there were a few times when Jason took that really personally. Um, They weren't necessarily upset. Okay, maybe a few of them were necessarily upset with him. And I was able to scoot in there without any real blame at all. Um, But I think that because Jason is so passionate about what he's doing, when people get upset, it can become overly personalized. But I don't think it's that way as much now. I can completely relate to that. No, I, I, I think. <laughs>
3: anything, anything to add there, Taylor? I don't know. I was thinking about how um, Jason spends a lot of time thinking about what he's going to say and what he's going to write. And um, he once told me that you can't save everybody every Sunday, but I think he thinks that he can. <laughs> um, so I guess one of his fears, I might venture to guess, is – that what he presents on Sunday might not be worthy or might not be holy. And that's the great thing about being a pastor because you get to try again six days later. Right. Um, but I, that might be a fear. I don't know. I could be way off on that. Or just a fear
1: that I will... Um, uh, I mean, so I guess my fear is that I'll have the same regret a lot of people do in like looking back on their life and that I um, spent too much time working.
0: do you uh you take some intentional steps to to guard yourself give yourself some good time for the kids and family all that stuff
1: no i i'm well i mean i i do but um in the united methodist church at least i experience uh self-care as
2: just another like burdensome like
1: <laughs> law that, yeah like, another thing you
2: have to do yeah gotcha but when they but when you do like your pastoral evaluation it does give you like a quick thing you can always default to of like things I need to improve on. <laughs> like it's, it's, with every, it's every like the only critique I've ever gotten is is like needs to take
1: care of himself better. Um, which is just ironic because like even with like terminal cancer i'm more healthy than most united Methodist pastors
0: <laughs> yeah i i could i can imagine you're exactly right um okay so i i know your friends can answer this one for you what is one thing that you completely rock in ministry preaching boom i mean he, he's
3: pretty funny i hate to admit that <laughs> I, just, I just hate i hate admitting that but Jason's pretty freaking funny and especially <laughs> in, in church. And, uh, I'm always looking for opportunities to laugh in church. Cause God, if we can't laugh in church, like, what are we doing? And, uh, he's, he's pretty good at making,
0: I, you I hate, I wish he didn't hear me say that. Um, <laughs> Oh man. Uh, okay. So I, I do just have one last question for, for you guys, because y'all, uh, I love, I love your connection. And, um, and i feel like i want to be a part of your group but i can't do that without a beard uh how do you grow a beard because you guys have really good <laughs> ones and i cannot do it for the life of me i
1: i mean my grandmother had a beard so I, it's not it's not anything i've achieved it's just genetics yeah okay although like tear for a long time didn't think you could grow one
2: i couldn't until i just did it one day I just, I just stopped shaving, but okay. So taking six weeks off for paternity leave really helped it come in because I was home and I didn't have to go anywhere. I didn't have to look a certain way on Sunday mornings or anything like that. You definitely have
1: to get past the week three and four hump, but that's.
2: Yeah. Once you get to week six, I think you're fine. And what truly helps is investing in a uh, guard so you can like get your edges real straight, (laughs) clippers and uh beard balm and finding a good barber those are the okay. th- four things you need yeah and see okay. my,
3: my response was just going to be be patient because you just have to wait and then something just happens um okay yeah tears got the got the straight lines and he goes to
0: a barber once a week and
2: um, not once a, every other week I'm <laughs> a
0: well they they each have their merits i have to say i i, I, I enjoy them all no when i uh before i came to this church i had about 6 weeks and so i took i was like i'm going to do it man i'm going to i'm going to let this grow and it was just it was disgusting it was red for some reason i don't have red hair but my beard came in that way it was <laughs> splotchy um i i did not like looking at myself and neither did many other people but you know so good for you and uh i'll let you know if if it ever happens, I mean, Send in an application to be a part it, of the group. And, and then you weird. turn
1: 40 and it doesn't matter. You just hate what you look like. So. <laughs> I, okay. I mean, I, I, I will say that. So we're all
3: under 40. This is true. <laughs> uh, you know. some, of, some of us are more under 40 than others. But um, I think having a beard has helped me immensely in the church. Cause I'm 30 and uh, I start I, my first church. I was 25 and I looked like I was 35 and I think that helped just immensely because people didn't treat me like a child or um, and it took them a while to figure out how young I actually was. But by that point I'd been there long enough
1: that they didn't care anymore, but I think it could have been really bad. You should edit so that that's the first line of the
0: podcast. <laughs> having a beard has helped
1: me considerably.
0: It. It, it seriously has like <laughs> who's not gonna want to listen after dropping that i mean yeah. that's that's a way to keep them in man. it's a very gender ex well i guess it doesn't need to be actually not, not according cool. to your grandma yeah <laughs> i am
1: one day i'm going to preach on the
3: psalm and i'm just going to stand in front of everyone and i'm going to pour oil all over myself and let it run into my beard and say the word has been fulfilled in your hearing (laughs) i'm I'm like i can't wait i'm just gonna a bottle of olive oil i'm just gonna douse (laughs) and and just bathe myself and send everybody home with a good benediction
0: all right well i don't think i'm going to be able to do a better ending than that so uh, yes, let's make that the uh, wonderful benediction and bring this episode to a close. Thanks again, Jason, Taylor, and Tier, for being a part of the show. And, of course, big thanks to my special guests in the censorship department, Stephen and Parrish. Look forward to seeing everybody for the next episode. And until then.
2: Thank you for listening to the Naked Preacher podcast. Thank you.